Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is just all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they align to our nine principles for organizational excellence. I'm excited for part two of my interview with Tony Bright, president of the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. In both interviews, Tony refers to his book, Learning to Improve, where he and his co-authors offer an approach to improving our schools. And Tony's got a new book coming out this summer that I'm sure that we're all going to be excited to read. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the interview. I'm, I'm honored to welcome Tony to our show. If you haven't done so, go back to episode 87 to hear the first part of the interview. And I think you've spent a lot of time on that part of the work, haven't you, Tony? Of really building, trying to focus on building those improvement networks. Uh, we have, and it, it's kind of it. Um, it surprised me, Janet, the reactions that we've had to this work. When I started Carnegie Foundation in 2008, and we began this work about. Uh, at that point, we talked about it as a more vital research and development infrastructure to actually support practice improvement, which eventually got sharpened into this idea of bringing the discipline of improvement science into education and organizing as networked improving communities to tackle these larger and more complex problems. Well, these, these ideas of networked improvement communities, continuous improvement, improvement science, 10, 12 years ago, virtually nobody in education was talking about any of this. Right. It felt like for the first four or five years, we had landed out in some remote island. And <laughs> the ideas seemed very compelling. And we, we thought we were starting to experience some success in our direct work, but nobody was paying attention to it. And then, you know, people started, occasionally people started calling up, they'd heard about it, they wanted to learn about it a little bit, started some workshops, launched the, six years ago, launched the, the uh, National Improvement, the Summit on Educational Improvement, first couple of years when we started that, people were coming, well, we'd heard about these ideas, we want to learn a little bit more about the ideas. Uh, but the third year, which actually coincided with the release of Learning to Improve, um, for the first time, we had teams of educators coming from districts. And they weren't just coming to learn about it, they were coming to share their first attempts at trying to do this. And then after the Learning to Improve, came out, the interest in this just exploded. And it moved from something that was really at the periphery of the field to really now at the center of what, of what educators, schools, schools, districts are trying to do, how to engage in more disciplined forms of improvement and how to organize in, in improvement networks to advance progress on more complex problems. I never would have predicted that. That's what no, I bet not. You know, and I mean, you have, you know, your conferences have grown, you know, so much um, in so in such significant ways. So I bet, you know, I wonder about that. I wonder if when you started, you know, years ago with your first conference, if you ever thought that you would be where you are today with the work. No, and it's like, it, this is this is one of the things I, I, I rail a little bit about. Every, I have a terrific board and they're very supportive of the work, but every now and then they feel like they need to be board members. And well, <laughs> what's your, what's your three-year plan? What's your five-year plan? And what are the measures by which you're going to know whether or not you succeeded? Well, 
The summit has been extraordinary as a community building activity. But when we started it now seven years ago, I could never predict it was going to look like this. Yeah. That, that this would be this kind of context where professional educators came together to work together around practical problems they were interested in solving. I never could have guessed it would evolve into that. That this is, this in the nature of improvement work itself, as well as work of the foundation more generally, has this kind of evolutionary character to it. It's not, it's not the traditional form of strategic planning, but it is more a form of kind of evolutionary planning where you're constantly listening, attending to what the people you're engaging with, what they're doing, what they're picking up, what they're not, and trying to figure out what you're going to do next. When you're connected out to an environment, mm -hmm. you're constantly sensing that environment uh, and trying to figure out what's the productive next step. It's not your traditional five-year strategic plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's our learning in the field. I don't. I think. I, I think your way and and uh, really looking at that consistent, evolving plan and continuing to look at data and building those improvements. That's the way of the future. It's it's difficult these days to predict and put a five year plan together because things change so quickly. Um, but and I know you know now you've been talking about some of the books, the, the book that kind of was the platform for improvement, the improvement work, and you have a new book release in July. So will you share a little bit about that, Tony? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is to come out shortly, just in a, in a few weeks. It's called Improvement in Action, and sometimes it's the sequel to Learning to Improve. Uh, toward the end of Learning to Improve, there was a concluding chapter. There was a small section. It's something to the effect of. This work is harder than it looks. <laughs> and as folks began to take this work up, read learning to improve study groups, one of the things that we started to hear from people was, I'm really interested in this and I'm, I'm learning about tools and methods, but as I actually go to try to do it, I'm not sure how to start. I'm not sure how to, how to, how to move through this. What does the actual processes of improvement look like? So that, you know, that began to get us focused on thinking about how to explicate this work more. And that, yes, there are tools and uh, processes that one can learn, but it is, improvement itself is a, a complex professional practice. And you, uh, once you get beyond learning the basics, the mechanics, if you will, you tend to be able to learn from the actual study of complex cases, people actually having done improvement work. And so improvement in action is really this... Uh, a collage of six different stories, um, a couple of school districts, a couple of charter management organizations, a couple of intermediary organizations, all of whom got about in very systematic ways tackling very important problems of, of inequity and in educational outcomes in this very disciplined sort of way. And in the course of doing that, fundamentally changing the capabilities of their organizations. They literally now think about and carry out their work differently. So the thrust of improvement in action is to try to make the actual work more visible and to signal more clearly what quality in continuous improvement or quality in the formation of improvement networks actually looks like. Because one of the great fears we have is that as the interest in the work spreads, the terms will get picked up, but the depth and integrity of the work yeah. may not be the same. And where we continue to encourage people to explore the ideas, where we see our work as 
constantly trying open it up to the field. And you know that people will pick it up and do, do a variety of different things with it, some of which will be spectacular and some less so. <laughs> and so what's important also, in addition to opening up the ideas, is now to try to send strong signals about what quality in the enactment of those ideas actually looks like. And this is a book about the work of six different organizations that have actually done that. I, I can't wait to read it, and I stand corrected. It's coming out uh, in a couple of weeks. So, I, and I know I, I'm looking forward to it because, you know, just our work with people in the field, with school districts and school leaders in the field, you know, we have the opportunity to work with some phenomenal leaders, and, and, uh, and we align and, and borrow from the work that you do because of the impact that it's made and the research that you wrapped around that is is so significant. So I'm looking forward to it and just appreciate the time and effort that you've put in, you know, to the Institute and, and, uh, and to the summit and then to the book, you know, it's, it's, it's made a, a huge difference um, in our field and uh, as you being just a premier educational researcher. So I'll conclude today with, um, with this question. I know that, that you're probably, Probably closer to the end of your career than the beginning, right, Tony? Um, in that regard, yeah. and um, you know, so you so you have time as you look back. We've talked of, of over time, but you know, what's important to remember about as you think about what's important to remember about the improvement work you championed and led? If you're, you know, leaving us with a thought, you know, what's important? Well, part of it, part of what I think is central, as I've mentioned before, is you put the problem of practice improvement at the center. When you engage in this work, you need to have a strong sense of what you know and also what you don't know, which means maintaining a humility as, as you go into this work. That engaging improvement typically means working in collaboration with others, other researchers, other practitioners, because the problems are usually too complex for any one person to solve. And um, how you're able to form what... Um, I've referred to as a colleagueship of expertise around problem solving. Uh, De Gamble refers to it as a contours of, of expertise. And to be mindful of what psychologists refer to as uh, confirmation bias. We care very deeply about the problems we're working on. And the consequence of that is we tend to see what we believe. Mm-hmm. And so to maintain a healthy skepticism that that this, which is characteristic of a scientific enterprise. That's why right. we talk about these as being scientific professional communities, because that that scientific skepticism is quite important. Yeah, not only that you're introducing changes, but constantly asking that question: How do I know whether these changes are actually improvements? That that's that that discipline is so important, and. Uh, in the most general terms, I, I think about this as uh, you're constantly living on the boundaries of belief and doubt, belief in the importance of what you're trying to work on, belief in the, in the significance of the change you're trying to introduce, but also constantly in doubt, have I actually got it right? What am I, what may not, what's not happening right in front of me that I'm not actually paying attention to? That, that's the that's the challenge of living this and the doing of this yeah. kind of work. Thinking through just 
that challenge, Tony, of always we we get into our work and really building that skepticism to it is really what what makes the difference, you know, building those challenges within ourselves. You know, so I I just really take to heart what you just said because it's it's personal to us um, our own way sometimes, right? You know, in order to get to that other side, to get to something that's more meaningful and um, to build the right solutions to the problems as best we can. That's, and I, I, I routinely say that's why we need data, evidence, because it needs something to push back at you that maybe I haven't got this right. And, and it's why we, why we engage in these disciplined forms of inquiry, because they, they're essential structures to, to challenge our thinking. And that's how we learn. Yeah. I mean, we when something pushes back at you, didn't quite get that right. Yes. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, thank you for the influence that you have provided to our profession. Uh, just the years of dedication of work of to your work uh, that's I know made a tremendous difference on me personally as a professional. And just really thank you so much for your contributions and for your time today. Thank you, Tony. Uh, thank you, Janet. Enjoyed your conversation and continue the great work that you're doing at Studer. Okay, thank you. As you leave today, I recommend that we all read Tony's new book that highlights some of the best educational institutions just practicing improvement work. That's what Tony highlighted in this interview, you know, is that this work is really about the work of others who have demonstrated best practices that we can all learn from. In the next episode, I'll interview Dr. Pat Greco, who'll talk about one of the chapters in Tony's book that highlights the great work of the School District of Menominee Falls in Wisconsin, one of our premier partners. I'm so grateful to Tony for his contribution to the education profession. I've learned from him throughout my professional life. Tony is a true difference maker in education. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.